Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. And this is really cute. My mom has flown here this morning all the way from Alabama to hear her boy preach on Mother's Day. <clears throat> so if you meet somebody in the lobby after the service with a southern twang, then you might know who you're talking to. It might be my mom. All right, well, the book of Haggai. We are on the third of four sermons through the book of Haggai. If you want to find it in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are at the beginning of the New Testament, about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. If you turn back two books, Malachi, then Zechariah, you'll hit Haggai. And we're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And just to set, again, the context for where we are in the story of God's people. It's around 600 BC that the Babylonian Empire crushed Jerusalem, and they decimated the temple specifically, and then they took the people in the land of Judah, God's people, into exile, into what's known as the Babylonian captivity. So they destroyed the temple. Well, uh, several decades later, the Persians took down the Babylonian Empire, and they began to rule. And they were a little softer with the Jews, and so they allowed them to come back to the Holy Land about 520 B.C., so about 80 years after they initially left. Well, they get back to the city, and as Steve preached to us in Haggai chapter 1, the first passage, God calls the people through Haggai to rebuild the temple. Now that they're back in the Holy City, he calls them to rebuild the temple. The second sermon in the end of chapter 1, uh, Steve taught us about how the Spirit of the Lord stirred up in King Zerubbabel and in the high priest Joshua. The Spirit stirred them up to obey the voice of the Lord and to begin this rebuilding process. So now we're at the beginning of chapter 2, and it's about a month after construction has begun on the new temple. And that's where we pick up Haggai's ministry of God's word. So I'll read Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of the nations shall come in, 
and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now in the name of King Jesus, our Savior, our hope. And we ask that your Spirit come, open our hearts, unplug our ears, that we may receive your word. God, we long to hear your voice, and so come. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a friend who was a big baseball player back in high school. He could throw that speedball by you, make you look like a fool, boy. Saw him the other night at this roadside bar. I was walking in, he was walking out. We went back inside, sat down, had a few drinks, but all he kept talking about was glory days, glory days, glory days. Well, there's a girl that lives up the block. Back in school, she could turn all the boys' heads. Sometimes on a Friday, I'll stop by and have a few drinks after she puts her kids to bed. Her and her husband, Bobby, well, they split up. I guess it's two years gone by now. We just sit around talking about old times. Says when she feels like crying, she starts laughing, thinking about glory days, glory days, glory days. I think I'm going down to the well tonight. I'm going to drink till I get my fill. And I hope when I get old, I don't sit around thinking about it, but I probably will. Yeah, just sitting back trying to recapture a little of the glory of Well, time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days, glory days, glory days. Well, these are the three verses of Bruce Springsteen's The Boss, his famous song, Glory Days. And if you listen to the music of this song, it's pretty upbeat and fast-tempoed, kind of a happy melody, a song you can sing in the shower, a song you can happily dance to. But the words of the song, I think, are quite different. The lyrics describe two of his old high school friends. There's his baseball-playing buddy and his head-turning lady friend. And now whenever he meets with these friends, all they keep talking about is glory days. And then in the third and final verse, he's by himself, and he thinks... I hope when I get older, I don't sit around thinking about them, but I probably will. Just sitting back, trying to recapture a little of the glory. But time slips away and leaves you with nothing but boring stories of glory. All he's got is stories. All he can do is recapture the glory that's gone. So though the melody of this song is quite happy and uplifting... The content of the lyrics have a different feel. Feelings of disappointment, discouragement, beat down, and stuck. Where are your best days? Behind you or ahead of you? I'll ask it this way. Where are your glory days? In your past? 
or in your future. Well, today's scripture shows us that we can be tempted to believe our best days are already over. And when we're convinced of this, discouragement and depression set in. So maybe you're like the characters in the song, and you believe your best days are when you were young, when your body still worked and looked good, before all the aching and sagging and disappearance of hair. That was fun, wasn't it? Or maybe you think your glory days were before marriage, before the kids, when you were free. Or maybe your best days were before the divorce. Those were good times. We were happy and together. It could be any number of circumstances, but when was it in your past that you think back then, those were the good days. If I could experience what I felt then, if I could possess what I had then, if I could go back to how it was, then I'd be okay. And I'd have joy and peace. Where are your best days behind you? Well, God's people are in this sort of predicament in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Stuck in the past. Or better yet, they're stuck in the present because they believe their glory days are in the past. But here's what Haggai wants them to believe, and here's what God wants us to believe today. Our future in Christ is far greater than our past. So we'll work through this passage with two sets of directions. First, don't let the past hinder your work in the present. Now, I want to paint the picture for what God's people were experiencing during this time. So you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit. But imagine that our country is at war. And our enemies have invaded Washington, D.C. And they destroy the Capitol building and the White House. And apparently this actually happened in the War of 1812. The British invaded D.C. and burned the Capitol building and the White House. So maybe this isn't too far-fetched. But imagine that after Washington, D.C. is destroyed like that, a few months have gone by now. And the war has subsided. And the calendar turns to the fourth day in the seventh month of the year, July 4th, Independence Day. This is the day we celebrate our country's freedom. It's the holiday where we remember our glorious beginning. And so we decide, let's make the trip to Washington, D.C. for the celebration. But when we arrive, things don't look so celebratory, do they? Because just a few months ago, two of the most prominent buildings in our country were destroyed. Well, this imaginary experience is very similar to what God's people are going through. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 1, the writer lets us know it is the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. And for God's people, the 21st day of the seventh month was a holiday. 
It was actually a week-long festival called the Feast of Booths. And the purpose of this festival was to celebrate their freedom from the Egyptian dictator. God's people were to remember how God won their independence from Pharaoh's tyranny. And during this week-long celebration, God's people would cease from work and travel to the capital city, Jerusalem, to celebrate. But what did God's people see when they arrived in the capital city? Did they see the glories of a flourishing city? A city inhabited by God's liberated, prospering people. A city where God himself dwelled in the temple. Not at all. But during this time, when the people were to be remembering their glorious beginning, all around they sat in ruins. The temple had been destroyed by their Babylonian captors 70 or 80 years ago. And Haggai's call for them to rebuild the temple, it had only had effect for a few weeks. Maybe they had begun to lay the foundation by then, but they had a long way to go. And until then, there wasn't much to celebrate. And God himself points this out to them. Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. Look there again. God asks the people... Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So God doesn't shame the people for being discouraged. God doesn't shame them for thinking about the glory days. No, He affirms their feelings of discouragement. Anybody remember the first temple? It was glorious, wasn't it? And this one, it is as nothing in your eyes. So God's not shallow. He affirms their discouragement and their pain. He affirms things were better back then. Things were better before the broken relationship. Things were better before the diagnosis. Things were better before your loved one died. I talk to my grandmother every week or so, and it's easy to tell. Things were better before granddaddy died a few years ago. She's lonely now. This house is empty now. This house is quiet now. Together in that house for 70-something years, no more. And it's as if God comes to my granny and says, you remember this house in its former glory when Leroy filled it with life? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So God is not trite. He feels and he affirms our discouragement that we feel. But he doesn't leave us there. Look again at verse 4. God continues. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. 
Be strong, all you peoples of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So God affirms our disappointment and discouragement, yet he calls us to strength. He calls us to courage. He calls us to continue to work, to live for him. And he assures us, you're not alone. My spirit is amongst you all. And this isn't just something that I've mouthed to you. But you remember, I put it in writing. I made it official. According to the covenant I made with you, he says, I am with you. And oh, friends, what a covenant we have in Christ Jesus. God has a covenant, an agreement with all who are in Christ. And this covenant God made with us is sealed by the blood of His Son. So when Jesus explained the Lord's Supper or communion to His disciples, He gave them the cup and said, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant. That's what we're doing every time we take the cup. We're saying, by allegiance to Jesus, I am in this blood-sealed covenant with God. What a covenant we have in Christ Jesus, and God dare not ever forsake such a covenant. He is with you. So are you trusting in Jesus? Are you taking part in this unbreakable, blood-bought relationship with God? Trust Him. Accept the gracious terms of this agreement and be brought into relationship with God by the blood of Jesus. And if so, if you are trusting in Jesus, then listen to how Paul describes how he is with us. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In other words, according to the covenant He's made with us in Christ, God by His Spirit has revived our spirit. And it's His Spirit's presence in our spirit that we can be strong, have fearless courage, and do the work He's called us to do. Paul says, your spirit is not one of fear, but of power. Strength. God meets us in our feelings of powerlessness and discouragement. He affirms that, yes, things used to be better, but don't let your past hinder your work in the present. In Christ and by the Spirit, He is with us. He's given us a spirit not of fear, but of strength and power. Haggai's first direction, don't let your past hinder your present. And secondly, look 
for God's abundant future grace. God's people are discouraged in the present because their past was so much better. So in verses 1 through 5, God, through Haggai, assures them, yes, things are bad, but I am still with you. And there is strength to be had right now for the work I'm calling you to. There is courage to be felt in the present, in this moment, despite your disappointing circumstances. But God doesn't stop there. He not only wants to encourage them by telling them He's with them right now, He also encourages them by pointing them to their glorious future. And so he starts in verse 6. Look there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet now, once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. The burned-down temple in Jerusalem And the depressed city streets of the capital were as nothing compared to the Persian Empire and their civilizations around them. Jerusalem had been sacked by the Babylonians and the city remained in ruins. Yet still, God says, I will shake the nations, I will shake the world until they wake from their stupor and the nations will notice That Jerusalem is the holy city. The temple is where God's presence dwells. And I know things look ugly now, but there will be a day when the world will stream this direction and they won't come empty-handed. They will come with gifts. Pick it up in verse 7 through 9. Again, the Lord says, I will shake the nations So that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In other words, the desolation of the present will be reversed by the glories of our future. Those who mourn will be comforted. Those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. And this victorious reversal is signified when the nations head to Jerusalem bearing gifts for the Holy One. Well, let's zoom forward again a few centuries in the Bible's story. Several hundred years after the time of Haggai, some men from a faraway land, far away to the east from the Holy Land, these men are religious leaders, and they study the stars seeking God's direction. They're known as magi. And observing the heavens, they notice an unusual star, and it's in the direction of Israel or the land of Judah. So they begin this several hundred mile journey towards Jerusalem to investigate. And that's where the Gospel of Matthew picks up the story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Matthew writes, 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star from the east and we've come to worship him. Well, after some interaction and investigation, the wise men, or magi, finally find this child they're looking for in Bethlehem, in the city of David. And Matthew tells us what happens when these men find him. Chapter 2, verse 11. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So with this story, Matthew is telling us the future we've waited for has started. The one to whom foreigners will stream has arrived. The treasures of the nations are coming in. The son of David The descendant of King Zerubbabel is here in the true king, Jesus. But the Messiah wasn't received with such joy, was he? Though Jesus lived a flawless life of strength and love, he was crucified. But in God's wisdom, Jesus rose from the dead And now the spirit inside of Jesus' followers strengthens us to take the gospel to the nations. This gospel that will shake the nations out of their stupor. This gospel that will lead the nations to treasure the glory of God and the grace of Christ. We proclaim this gospel until the end. And listen to how John describes the end, our future. This is Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 26. The Apostle John writes, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon either to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By this light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into this heavenly city the glory and the honor of the nations. Oh, friends, look to this glorious destiny that awaits us. Look to God's abundant future grace. Our glory days have begun with the coming of Christ and the sending of His Spirit. But what astonishment lies ahead when the new Jerusalem descends from heaven and there will be no temple because the fullness of God's presence will fill everything. The light beams of God's glory will do away for need of sun or moon, and by this light, the nations will walk. Into these gates, the kings of the earth will bring their honor and glory because they will finally know what we know now. Jesus is 
Lord. And his kingdom breaks the power of death. His grace covers the nastiest sins. And his love satisfies the loneliest heart. So brothers and sisters, where are your best days? Behind you or ahead of you? Where are your glory days? In your past or your future? Oh, what a future we have in Christ. Look to this future and be strong. Do work. Fear not. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you so grateful for the good news. You have not left us, but you hold to your word that in Christ you are with us until the end. And so we just receive this truth. Your spirit is amongst us according to the covenant you've made with us in Jesus. God, for many of us, for myself, I look to the past and there's this temptation to think if it were only then, if I could know the glory I felt then, God, I pray you would free us from such discouragement. Open our hearts to receive this word from you. Be strong. Do work. Fear not. Open our hearts to receive that from you, our loving God. And Father, may it be that this church does the work of taking the nation-shaking gospel to the ends of the world. Empower us, Father. Give us boldness. Give us love by your Spirit that we could see this community and the ends of the world shaken by the power of the gospel. Come, we pray. We long for you and your glorious future where the nations will walk. Oh, for the day, God, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen.